by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Welcome back to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors, where each week we bring in our great folks and cast and crew from Wyoming Game and Fish Department, and uh, Janet Millick is with us every week. Janet, we always like taking questions from the public because that really is why we do this show is so that people that want information can get the information they need uh, without having to really struggle to find it, and we try to make it as easy as possible. So if you go to the radio station app and you send us a message of a question you have for Game and Fish – then we'll get it answered and we'll bring in the the pros to get it done, Janet. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I want to remind people, and I know we always say it, is don't hesitate to call or to come in to the offices. That's what we're here for and we love to help. But sometimes I know people don't want to do that or maybe they're embarrassed or or just don't have the time. And so sending Drew that, that question is really helpful for us and we're here to try to get people the information that they need. We're to the point of the year that if you're not an ice fisherman and you don't up on bird hunt, you're kind of in a lull, except for small game. That's right. And, you know, um, one of my favorite things to cook is small game. And so it's always a fun thing to kind of get out, learn some new things. It is a great way, Drew, to get the kids involved. It is it is um, a neat thing to kind of gauge their interest on whether or not they're going to want to be hunters and really encourage them to to try some new things and just to get outdoors. So whether you cook whether you want to learn to hunt or whether you just need to get outside, small game is is kind of your bag. One of the questions that we've had a couple of times over the last few weeks is why is rabbit hunting so slow these days? Because that is such a great question, Drew. We brought in the experts on that. So we have Brandon Warner, who is our Casper Region wildlife biologist, as well as Justin Benfit, who is our wildlife um, biologist coordinator, manager coordinator, um, depending on how which title you want to give them. Both wildlife biologists extraordinaire who can easily help answer these questions. Let's go with the, the easy softball question that probably is not as easy to answer as we may think. But Justin, let's start with you. Why is rabbit hunting so slow these days? Uh, it's changed, I guess, over the years. I got to say, I'm I'm smiling as Janet was giving that introduction because uh, she says biologist extraordinaire or whatever she said. But the, the truth is on this, we don't know. Um, it's it's really kind of interesting. You know, rabbit populations, that's kind of the most noticeable um, thing around when it comes to small game hunting. They're the most popularly pursued species, too. You know, there's always um, squirrels and, and things like that. But rabbits are are the most commonly hunted, but, you know, we don't really track rabbit populations like we do say big game in terms of, we're not estimating their numbers and that sort of thing, but we do track, um, cottontail harvest. And so, and usually that's a pretty good indication of what, uh, uh it, it's a good reflection of what we have for rabbit numbers out on the landscape. And, um, you know, historically rabbit numbers tend to boom and bust. They'll run on these population cycles that maybe every 10 ish or so years and they'll, they'll get to, they'll peak, they'll get really high densities and then they'll just crash. Well, and there's some reasons for that. We can go into a little bit later, but you know, we had a really big peak back in like 2006 and here we are, you know, 17 years later 
and we've never really had rabbits come back in a huge peak like that. So, um, you know, to be honest, we're not entirely sure what's going on. So we all know that antelope and, and mule deer have issues when it comes to a drought or even a rough winter, kind of like we're having. Do the rabbits kind of fall in this the same thing when the times are tough? They're really tough on, on everything? Well, not necessarily in terms of, um, for example, that last really extraordinary peak we had in 2006, that followed six consecutive of years of the driest drought years we've ever had in the state. They did really, really well. Um, and, and then they just get gotten these super high densities. And when they get in those really high densities, what'll happen is, uh, the most common disease that comes in through is called tularemia. And when they get in really high densities, like they they kind of get, um, their, their immune systems get a little suppressed because there's actually an increase in stress hormones that they deal with because there's just so many rabbits around and it leaves them that much more susceptible to that disease. And then a disease like tularemia that spread through um, little insects, uh, when they're in such high densities, it can spread from rabbit to rabbit and just cause those crashes. But as far as we, we just haven't seen them come back, although we're certainly noticing this summer and fall, we started to see a few more rabbits, both cottontails and jackrabbits. And it seemed like maybe their numbers are now on the upswing a little bit. Um, but as far as like what this winter is doing to some, with some really high snow loads and hard crusted snow, out in the country, not really sure how it's going to affect our rabbits yet this year. Brandon, what about predators? You know, we have coyotes and mountain lions and bobcats and even wolves. Does that have anything to do with it? Absolutely, Drew. Coyotes definitely do have an impact on small game populations and, and how Justin was talking before on the, the cyclical cycles of small game. That when the coyote numbers are really high is typically when the densities of small game is the lowest and vice versa too. So coyotes, foxes definitely do prey on, bobcats especially too, prey on these small game species. And and our bobcats and coyotes are doing really well around the Casper region right now. If someone is looking to take their, their kids out to, to get them the, the taste of hunting, Brandon, where would you suggest going? I know you guys are out all over the Casper region. You're, you're driving around, you're checking um, you know, what it's like out in, in the, the wild right now. And are there any areas that you may suggest people to go and have a better opportunity? Rabbits really like having good security cover. So essentially the, the thicker the stuff, especially like crick bottoms, cottonwood galleries, yeah, sagebrush flats, anything that has really thick cover are really where these rabbits like to have good security cover and feel safe. So um, sending hunters there is their best chance of success. You know, obviously safety is one of our major concerns and, you know, you got to make sure you're wearing the the blaze orange or the bright pink to make sure that, you know, you're being safe. What about other safety gear or safety concerns that parents should have that they need to teach their kids? Well, one of the things it's always um, a great idea is to have your kids through your hunter education or hunter safety class, which they can get um, right here at the Wyoming Game and Fish Department um, or anywhere, actually, if you just go to the webpage, um, it will have classes listed um, throughout um, the state of Wyoming, which is wonderful. And so, you know, that's a, a great place to kind of learn the rules and regulations, making sure that you know, you know, what you do need to use um, to be safe as far as firearms, as well as um, making sure that you have the right licenses, all of those things that kind of go into it. 
Um, so yes, yeah, safety is is a, a great thing. But like we've talked about a thousand times on this show, Drew, you know, you are the best model for your kids or whomever you are mentoring. So making sure that that you're doing things safely with great ethics is always important. Brandon, you know, obviously you have the love of the outdoors and have gone out and uh, done some hunting. Do you remember the first time that you ever went out rabbit hunting or small game hunting and, you know, what maybe what firearm you used and what suggestion you would have for a, a family? I do actually remember, you know, when I was growing up in Eastern Nebraska, we did a lot of cottontail rabbit hunting, had a, had a great time doing it, made a lot of memories doing it. And I honestly got me into the field I am now and my love of hunting. So growing up, I started out with just a little air rifle that you can buy at tractor supply or bomb guards, anywhere like that. I was fortunate enough when I was young, the rabbit population was really high. So it was pretty easy to, to find a lot of rabbits on the landscape. But as I got older and kind of got after some moving rabbits and whatnot, I jumped up to uh, a 22 caliber rifle and a, a 410. Both are great low recoil calibers. The only downside to a 410 right now is the ammo is really hard to find. But um, the, the modern air rifles now are, are more than enough that needs to, to get a rabbit. So. Which, and, and that's something that a lot of people don't think if, you know, maybe you're a little concerned about your kid having a 22 to have an air rifle, you know, I mean, it, it has the power to get the job done, but the, maybe the safety is a little higher. Yeah, absolutely. Janet, you had mentioned that uh, cooking small game is one of your favorites. What's your, your go-to way to, to cook it up? I'm not going to give you my secrets, Drew. Oh, you have to. <laughs> she braises them in a red wine vinegar. Oh, with some how did you know? Because <laughs> that's me. the way. Yeah. No, actually, it's it's really a great recipe I learned from my father, and and it's kind of been passed down, and it's kind of fun because we get to do it now with our our kids. And um, you know, if you just have a cottontail rabbit and you pan sear it with um, you know dredge it in a little bit of flour, pan sear it, then you can slow braise it in either chicken broth or red wine. <laughs> I'm not red wine vinegar, Justin. That might be a little bit uh, toxic. Yeah, a little punchy for sure. But, you know, lots of garlic, red wine, chicken broth, and just slow cook it. And it just turns out wonderful. You know, on this show in the past, you guys have all made fun of me for squirrel hunting because, you know, back (laughs) where I'm from, that's like one of the things, you know, just like the small game rabbit hunting. But to throw a squirrel in uh, some dumplings, and just let it cook. Oh, man, that and, and doing a rabbit like that, man, that's good stuff. You know, it is um, It is just a neat way to have a, a quick day to get out and have something fun to eat and something different to cook. And it's, it's amazing how much you can kind of bring people together around those sorts of, of um, situations. And, you know, right now you have until the end of March, I think March 31st, to get out and really try your hand at some of these things. But I do know um, we want to remind folks it's kind of a down year, and so we don't want everyone to be super discouraged, but it's it's a fun time to get out. You know, Justin, one thing that, that I've noticed, and obviously you can't shoot a rabbit in, in town, but there are a lot of the rabbits that are seem to be very domesticated almost, to where there's no sense of of fear in these these rabbits and is that just because of they're living in the neighborhoods or you know could something be wrong with that rabbit 
No, generally it's, that's just uh, that's just kind of like our town deer and turkeys. They, you know, when they kind of grow up and are accustomed to being around people, that's just the way they are. Unless, of course, they see my one-year-old red lab named Floyd. He'll, uh, <laughs> he'll clear your neighborhood out of rabbits real quick. So, well, send them um, over because we, they're all over. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, no, we do get quite a few in town, and there were certainly on the uptick in town this last year. And, and of course, they can be hard on gardens and things like that. We'll get some calls from time to time on that. About the only thing you can really do is recommend you kind of fence out your garden with some chicken wire. They're they're mostly cute and cuddly, and folks like seeing them. Right. And so, and but they're not a danger to anything but your petunias in your whatever uh, garden you have. Well, not really. But rabbits um, rabbits can carry disease, and so they they certainly can have pretty high flea loading and things like that. Um, so uh, if you find dead rabbits, then, you know, most of the time uh, the, the disease they carry that I mentioned earlier is tularemia. I mean, that's something you would want to use some proper um, safety precautions with if you're handling them. Tularemia is a bacterial disease. So um, it's something that could be potentially transmitted to people as well. So, And of course, uh, as we've mentioned multiple times, uh, if you have any more questions about a small game, any kind of game, you can get a hold of of uh, Justin, Janet, Brandon, or anyone at, at Wyoming Game and Fish Department to get the ball rolling on getting your question answered. Justin and Brandon, thank you so much. Now, Janet, I need you back in just a second. Grab Brian Olson. We've got a question about wild game meat. It's coming up. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Thanks so much for tuning in. Of course, you can listen to our past episodes by clicking the on-demand button on the radio station's app. Janet Millick, Brian Olson with us this morning, and there's been a topic in the news lately. We've all heard about it. The meat that you harvest. You go out, you kill an animal, you process it. Janet, then what can you do with that? Well, it turns out, Drew, you can't do much with it beyond uh, helping yourself. You know, this this topic goes clear back into the 1800s, you know, clear back to when when we had the market hunting and, and all of that, that jazz that was going on with, you know, bison, wild bison meat, um, wild elk, deer, antelope, all of those sorts of things, beavers even, um, were starting to become endangered. Numbers were going down, and, and that's when kind of the – the fathers of the North American model for wildlife management really kind of came into play. You know, we're, we're talking clear back to the Teddy Roosevelt's of this world that we're looking at, at the future and what it might mean for wild game. And, and so that's kind of where we landed today, that, that it's for your own personal consumption. But selling game meat, not your best bet. Under Wyoming state statutes now, it's illegal to sell game meat and game fish, too. So it's not just... Um, you know, the furry animals, but it's also the, the critters underneath the water. When I go to a, a restaurant and I order a, a bison burger or an elk steak, that didn't come out of the, the woods. I mean, this this comes from a farm. That's correct. So a lot of states, um, North American states actually, in the United States actually have game farms where they actually raise elk, raise deer, raise buffalo, but it's livestock. So it's a little bit different. But for other wild game like elk and deer and things like that. They raise them at wild game farms and uh, not in Wyoming, but in other states. And then they ship those to the restaurants and that's how they serve that on their menu. And if you think through that, Drew, that's really um, something that you want for your own personal safety consumption. I mean, the 
the average Joe and how they take care of their meat may not be the best for putting it on a plate in a restaurant. You do want to make sure that you have someone inspecting that meat, that it is, you know, safe, just like we do with all of our livestock that we may eat. I assume at this point, there are a lot of people that are rolling their eyes or shocked that this isn't a wild game that they're eating at the restaurants, but uh, it, it's not. It, you, you can't do that. Now, let's shift focus a little bit. What about the wild game that you have killed the animal, you've processed it, and you want to give it to your friend, but you can't sell it because that's not legal either? No, that's not legal either. No, they can, your, your neighbor could give you some elk meat type thing, you know, so you can have, you can give it to them up to 25 pounds. You can give a giveaway to your neighbor, your friend, your family member, things like that, but you can't charge them for it. Um, but there is laws in the books that allows you to give it to people that, you know, always want some meat, game meat. You know, if you're a hunter and your neighbor isn't say, Hey, I'd like to try some of that elk meat. You can certainly do that kind of stuff. I hope that makes it clear to, to everyone that you can't sell that wild game meat. Now you can always ask more questions uh, by going to the website, wgfd.yo.gov. Now, let's shift gears a little further, but staying with the wild game. So when a, a, an animal gets hit on the side of the road, it's now legal in Wyoming to pick that up. But since January 1st, there's a new app that is being used. And it's a little bit confusing because it's been legal for a while to pick up wild game. But now this app is available. July 1st, so of 2021, it did become available that you were able to pick up roadkill based on regulations. But we just did not have the rules and, and regulations in place until recently to really make sure that we are are safe for the public on this on a lot of um, different avenues. So we now have the 511 app in partnership with the Wyoming Department of Transportation that people can now use as well as, as a location on our website to, to get authorization to pick up roadkill. That's awesome. So you can have some raccoon stew or possum pie yep whatever your little heart desires now you can get it but actually that's not the case um for the roadkill app we do authorize that people pick up deer elk antelope moose wild bison or wild turkey and drew we always let you pick up a raccoon we didn't really care so if you want to have raccoon stew you can do that without using the 511 app you're you're clear to go buddy it's a little greasy, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that makes for the best, too. <laughs> now, Brian, you and I have talked a little bit about what it's like on an animal after you, you hit it with a vehicle, whether it's a truck or car. Uh, it's not in great shape, more than likely, and there probably needs to be some caution used. It's really hard to explain unless you've actually been there, done that before. But when you think about... Uh, a vehicle going down the road 30 miles to 80 miles an hour and they hit, a, hit an animal, everything on the inside of the animal pretty much explodes. And then the meat pretty much turns to jelly, you know, blood, bloodshot and all that kind of stuff. Um, certainly people don't know that when they come across one on the road, if it's fresh or if it's been there for a few days. Um, I think one of the main things that, you know, that worries us the most is the safety of people that are picking things up on a highway and to make sure that they follow the rules, you know, make sure you're putting your flashes on, get that thing loaded up. We're worried about people getting hit on the road, and I think it's the safety thing is really our main emphasis. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors.
It's Drew and Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, where it's your one-stop shop for everything you need for the outdoors. If you're hunting, fishing, hiking, uh, camping, boating, whatever you're doing in the outdoors, that's what you can find the goods here in Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And we're not doing a whole lot of boating right now, Drew. Not a whole lot, but you can start <laughs> thinking about that. We are definitely thinking about it. Every time I come in, I kind of glass around the, the room to see what's really hot right now. And snowshoes, obviously, over this you know the last week with what we've had, getting up on the mountain and, and doing some outdoor recreation is probably a good idea. Yeah, having those snowshoes is uh, not just good for uh, getting around up on the mountain, but sometimes getting around your neighborhood. That's true. I, matter of fact, that was in my emergency kit this week was <laughs> snowshoes, even though I hate those things. Right? But, <laughs> uh, but you guys do have a, a full wall of snowshoes uh, and even the, the materials that you need, the trekking poles and boots and socks and everything. Yeah, you know, the trekking poles and the and the snowshoes, certainly a, a big hit this time of year and, and been great all year with the, with the amount of snow that we've had. But uh, we're seeing a lot of people just, you know, bringing, coming in and, you know, getting their kids a new set of boots or gloves. Um, you know, those kids tend to, to lose those gloves pretty frequently. So, um, yeah, we're seeing a lot, a lot of cold weather gear uh, moving out the door. One of the things that I, I have looked over the last 30 years, the Casper weather has been on a downturn for 25 years and then all of a sudden the last couple of years it's really picked up so those people that maybe haven't purchased new boots for the last 10 years should probably start thinking about that if it's going to turn this way well your technology has definitely come a long ways and you know we're not we're not just wearing those rubber galoshes that our parents sent us out in when we were kids you know and uh they're you know now these are fully molded uh boots that are one one seamless construction uh, you know, some of these boots are rated to minus 40 degrees. So uh, they're made for the weather that we're experiencing. And I really like the the companies that produce these boots stand behind them enough that if you have them for a year and something goes wrong, they're going to back it up. Yeah, we 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 deal with quality manufacturers, and they they all they they're standing behind their stuff. We rarely ever see any problems, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and usually when we do, it's it's certainly an abuse situation. Um, but when there is a problem, they're they're definitely helping us out and taking care of customers. That definitely is something that that I want to hit on again. Is uh, you may come into the store and think discount sports, but really. What you're getting is quality of everything that you, you need, and, and that's what you guys stand by here, too, is the fact that, you know, you're getting good stuff. You're not going to have to change it out in three weeks. Yeah, you know, I like to think even, like, on a hunting backpack, we you know, we're going to carry the name brands, like the top of the line, like Mystery Ranch, but we're going to try to give you a good and better and a best, you know, scenario. So mm -hmm. it'll hit multiple budgets, but it's also the lower budget still going to be a great quality pack that you're not going to have to replace after two years. And that's what I also like is if you're a weekend warrior, if you're only uh, going hiking or going hunting maybe one weekend out of three months, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to have to spend $400 on a pack, but you have the price ranges that are at the, the lower end too. Yeah, and that's uh, definitely means a lot to me because, you know, over the years, you know, I've spent a lot of money on just real cheap, you know, maybe just oh, yeah. on online, you know, it was a great deal. And then you're like, well, that didn't last a full season. Mm -hmm. You know, seams are coming undone and stitching or zippers aren't working. And uh, now we're, we're dealing with manufacturers that, for one, are building a great quality item, but they are standing behind their product as well. And families can get 
at all here too. You want your family to be decked out in good quality stuff, good boots, good clothing, uh, good products. You can get the whole family something here at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. We're back to talk getting ready for spring fishing in just minutes. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. And we're back sitting with Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. Ice fishing's been a little off, and, man, there are a bunch of people jonesing because of how bad it's really been. Yeah, you know, it's just the uncertainty of even being able to get anywhere close to the lake is mm-hmm. pretty tough, you know. And pretty much every road out of Casper for this last week has been shut down at one point or another if it's not still shut down. And uh, that uh, the snow and the wind has just really created havoc, especially if a guy that's trying to get out to Pathfinder, you know, those county roads. And uh, Bishops has been a, a real tough time getting out to Bishops all, all winter mm-hmm. long. So, um, yeah, you know, it's kind of time to just uh, reevaluate, you know, that uh, we're not going to give in completely because we still have great ice. But, you know, in these downtimes, you know, we, now it's time to do a little maintenance and, you know, refresh our tip-ups and put new line on them or restring uh, rods and reels, maybe get ready for open water. I know in Boysen, they've estimated that it may be uh, late May before it's not safe to be on the ice anymore. And and that's just, that's assuming that we're not going to have any more bad weather before between now and then. Right. So, I mean, it may be early to mid-June before we get that open water. And I know they're anxious people. Yeah, we'll have open water somewhere. It may not be right in our backyard, but we'll have water that we can get to. And, yeah, talking about boys, and I had a friend of mine that was over there last week, and it took every bit of their auger to get through the ice. So most of those augers are 30, 36 inches. Yeah, well, I know at one point the ice was thick enough that they opened an ice skating rink, Mm -hmm. and it has to be two feet for them to do that so in that particular area right two feet of ice is a lot of ice yeah and that was that was pretty cool to uh, go on to the boys in state parks you know web or facebook page mm-hmm. and and that was that was a really neat uh, rink that they they set up there and they i guess they're doing free rentals and ice uh, ice um, ice skates and hockey sticks and all kinds of stuff so. so while you know dad and mom are out ice fishing you could send the kids over and play some hockey and yeah. skate. i mean that's pretty neat let them get some exercise yeah. wear them out a little Bit. everybody knows you can't go out and run around in this stuff so right. that's a great way to to use that right uh and we have talked a lot uh about you know getting in the the mental framework of springtime fishing and you can't do it now unless you head way south probably or mm-hmm. maybe east a little bit but you know getting your boat to that point where you're ready where you don't have to go on one weekend and spend lots of money to to get it just kind of gradually start restocking yeah you know as cold as it's been and you know battery maintenance is really critical you know so hopefully you guys had their battery chargers on their on their oh, yeah. uh, batteries throughout the season to keep them fully charged once those things freeze they're done you know so um and batteries have been kind of tough to get so uh, making sure that you get a good charge on batteries and I like using this time to go through all my crankbait boxes and uh, you know all my all my storage units and uh, look at the get those plano boxes, open things up, make sure that you know if I got rusted hooks, I'm replacing rusty hooks. Um, labeling each one of those plano boxes so I know that I've got number four sawmill hornets or number five flicker shads and get them real specific so that when I'm on the lake, you know, I'm not having to dig through multiple boxes to find what I'm looking for. When you go through a situation like that, do you have one section that is one bait? 
And then, or do you kind of mix and match? I mean, what uh, it's personal preference, I assume. Right. But you know, you don't want to have to open four or five different boxes if you're changing things up. But yeah, like so. In I've got a an older six twenty Ranger boat, and what I've kind of come to to really like using is uh, Plano makes a. Uh, plastic, you know, storage container. It's a thirty-seven hundred series. It's a, it's called the five thirty-four. So it's got five five compartments that you can divide out, and they're thin. I like using the thin boxes, and I can stack all of one particular size and flavor, right? So if I'm going to pull number five flicker shads, I can pull the box out, and they're all full of flicker shads, and I can I can start sorting through colors and, and see which one's working best as I'm on the water. Um, I also kind of to take a mental note of, you know, well, yeah, I had a perch glass perch one that was really working well, and I don't have any more because I snagged them all up last year. So kind of give myself a, 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 a laundry list of what I need to, you know, pick up before open water season starts again. And then really, uh, if you come in, you, you don't have to buy everything at once, you know, kind of like I was uh, saying. But you could also get one type and then, you know, because you start – getting questioned when you're spending hundreds of dollars at one time in (laughs) february for fishing gear right yeah and i think you know i mean at one point or another you know you go to a certain body of water you kind of tend to you know maybe maybe you're fishing pathfinder and you typically are pulling uh, baits in less than 20 feet so you know some of the deep diving cranks that i would maybe take over to lake oahe um or you know bigger bodies of water i'm going to pretty much leave those at home so i want to be able to have them organized enough where i can swap tackle in and out and the other thing is if i'm fishing with somebody um, I've you know got these travel bags that I've got picked up you know over the years and uh, they they hold those plano boxes really nice so I can if I'm gonna go jump in the boat with somebody I can grab 15 or 20 of those uh, different boxes that I want uh, to use and try while I'm on my buddy's boat so I'm not you know losing his gear right uh, so when you think about uh, you know how you're going you're talking about the baits and what about the hooks I mean how many different sizes gauges and you know different types do you go do you stay with one particular brand because you like that or no i mean i most most companies you know have done their research i think and you know i'm not i I haven't really experienced like uh saying that a certain brand you know i have to change out their hooks now there are some people that get pretty into that and they're like well no i have to use a number six gamagatsu uh treble hook and that's the only one that'll work um but you know the that's probably not really realistic for most people. You know, 98% of us, you know, grab one out of the package and make sure it runs straight, and we're going to run the hooks that are on there. But, uh, you know, after a while, I mean, every once in a while, you know, you're snagged up on a rock or tree, and you pull it out there, and you got bent hooks, and maybe they're starting to get a little weak on you. It's, it's good to have uh, some backups to replace those hooks when needed. When you are uh, looking at your hook, you know, obviously we just said this is a great time to – if you got rusty hooks, bent hooks, whatever, uh, how sharp and you know what kind of a point do you want on your hook? I'll kind of just do the finger test. You know, if it's if it's snagging on my on my skin and it, then it's probably going to be sharp enough. But um, you know, carrying just a, a small hook file in the boat um, every once in a while just to kind of touch those up. Um, Otherwise, you know, most of the time I'm, I'm probably not sharpening mine. I'm probably just replacing them. Replacing. Yeah, it's not that big of an expense at this point to right. buy some new hooks. Right. I mean, but you can always buy more baits if you just sharpen your own <laughs> hooks. That's right. <laughs> now, one of the things that I like about 
coming here to Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, especially when we're thinking about stocking up and, and getting the new equipment, is you guys have a whole uh, plethora of brands and sizes. And, you know, you just talked about people that really get into the, the one bait, mm-hmm. but maybe they want to try something else. I mean, that's kind of the, the specialty you guys have here. Yeah, you know, we um, we always take off to a, a buy group show here at the in the fall, and we do all of our buying for uh, the spring fishing and camping. So a lot of that product's um, already rolling in the door. So we've already seen a lot of our new Northland products. Um, we've got some new uh, Berkeley uh, crankbaits, uh, like the Money Badgers. We just got in a, an order of Salmo Hornets, which has some uh, pretty awesome plastic baits as well. Uh, which we had a few last year, had a hard time getting them, uh, made the commitment early to make sure we carried the full line of it. So there's some pretty cool stuff out there. Um, And if you had a bait that worked good for you last year, it's probably going to work good for you this year. And if you find another one that looks similar or, you know, catches your eye, now's a good time to get it before somebody else does. You know what they they always tell you that if you're having an ailment, if you're feeling sick or you, you got a pain here, a pain there, never to go Google what your symptom is, right? <laughs> um, but with so many reviews and things that are online, you're getting a different review for every product that is on the market and they're giving you their thoughts. Would you say read those, look at those videos, but really go test on your own is probably the best way to do it? You know, I usually kind of just listen to customers and friends of mine that are and what they're doing. But, um, you know, you, you have to you have to be confident in what you're doing. Right. So um, and I think I've mentioned this before, but I've got got a couple of friends that, you know, they, they have all kinds of really cool tackle and, and they definitely like, you know, trying it out and. You know, I'm usually there at the lake to just catch fish. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I go down to Glendo, I mean, if, I, if I'm if i just casting a maybe a quarter ounce uh, jig head with a white twister tail, you know, I'll swim that sucker all day long, you know, and my buddies will be out there changing their baits every five casts, you know, and, and I'm catching another one and they're catching yeah. another one. And they're like, what are you using? And I'm like a white twister tail. And then I'm like, you want one? No, no, I got one. I'm going to keep trying this other stuff. I'm like, that's fine, you know, but um there's there's more than one way to catch a catch a walleye. Obviously, um, find a way that you like, and then maybe expand on it. So if you like pulling cranks, you know, and a new one comes out, like the this new Berkeley Money Badger, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's kind of cool, and you got some colors that you think work pretty well down at Glendo. Maybe they're a perch or crappie or or they're shad shad colors. You know, maybe try a couple of them, but. Generally, what happens is, you know, after you after, after you find one that works pretty well, then you're like, well, I'm going to try this color now. I'm going to try this color next. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think you I think you have to put everything to the test yourself, you know, and you have to be confident in it because just because your buddy's catching them on flicker shads doesn't mean that you're not going to catch them on, you know, glass shad wrap or polis, you know. So, you know, using that that. I guess the the testing ability that you have, you can come in and you don't have to buy 18 packs of the same one. It'd be buy 18 packs of different ones and find out which ones that you really like. Now, you did mention walleye, and uh, the walleye banquet is coming up for the North Platte walleyes in uh, April April, 15th. We are just about sold out. Um, So if you uh, have some buddies and want to grab a table, um, you can come see me here at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. Um, but you're going to want to get those sooner than later because we are um, we're going to have about 350 people at this banquet. And I think there's, you know, less than five or eight tables left. 
And you have the the stampede that's starting in May. I think is your first one's at Glendo. Yep. And uh, you still taking some registrations for that? Oh yeah, May fifteenth is our first event down there, and um, we've already got about forty teams signed up. So it looks like it's going to be another good season with uh, good numbers of teams. And last year you had well over a hundred at, at a couple of those Glendo ones. I think. I didn't you? think we were like a hundred and forty at the yeah. first one, and maybe one forty nine at the second one, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. So, and I, I have a. Few feeling that this year the fishing is going to be better than last year so you know i you know between the water levels and just kind of what we saw you know even through the ice and just in the, into the fall fishing uh there's a lot of fish in there and uh, the game of fish is doing a good job of managing managing those those numbers and um i got a feeling that that glendo is going to be spectacular this next year um, one more thing on the, the North Platte walleyes is you guys have raised money throughout the years with these banquets. Uh, you give fishing poles to kids and a lot of the organizations that you guys have, you know, any of the fishing days, you do that. But one of the things you guys have been really been waiting on, we're going to talk in detail about next week because you're actually going to get to see them in action right. with the new, uh, what are the hatcheries? Yeah, so... Um the Game and Fish, I think they're in their second year. Maybe this is going into their third year, but um, they're, they started a walleye rearing program out at Spee's Fish Hatchery. So they've been raising walleyes just out of basically what they're called stock tanks. They're called larva tanks, I think. Um, and so they've had two tanks. They're averaging about 120,000 walleyes. Um, being raised and released in Wyoming uh, from those two tanks. And so talking to the Game and Fish, we wanted to be able to use some of these funds that we're raising at these banquets and uh, put, put, it, put it towards, um, you know, things that are going to help with enhancing walleye fishing throughout the state. And so we really couldn't think of a better way to support our, our, our efforts and Game and Fish's efforts than to help purchase a couple of these tanks. So um, working with Lars out there at Spee's Fish Hatchery, um, they just got the tanks in last week, and uh, we're going to be going out uh, hopefully next week. To They've got them all plumbed in. They're running water through them, and uh, as of, once the spring hits and they get some open water, then the Game and Fish will actually go out and net some walleyes. They'll milk them. Uh, collect their eggs, and then they'll raise walleyes here in, at the Spee's Fish Hatchery. Which is is very cool. And so if you've been thinking about going out to the uh, North Platte Walleyes Banquet, then you know that's where your money's going. A lot of it is anyway. But next week we'll talk more about that one. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Thanks for listening to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. I'm Drew, your host. You can go to our app and ask us a question for any of our guests, Game and Fish, Brian from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, or our guest today, Travis Glasgow. Travis is an artist from Casper that is really spreading his wings, and he uses wildlife. Now, Travis, how would you describe your art? So they're animal landscapes, so wildlife and landscapes. So I, I take most of the landscape pictures I don't take most of the wildlife pictures. I, I source those. Those are just public domain images, um, but I'm a landscape photographer, so I combine my photography with um, my graphic design. I've been a graphic artist for about 20 years and uh, just kind of dabbled in it. And then about five years ago, I really, really kind of found this niche as far as, um, you know, combining wildlife and landscape images. 
has it always been something that you've been interested in even as a young artist? Yeah, so I really started it when I was probably, I don't know, 18 years old. I'm 41 now. And uh, so I've been doing it for, for quite a while. I like this type of art because you're using the Wyoming landscape and the Wyoming wildlife and combining it. You don't really see that a whole lot. I mean, it's, it's pretty tricky. It's like any other art form. Um, after I have the wildlife image, you know, I'll go out and take a picture of, you know, whatever landscape image, bring it back, and I have Photoshop here. So, and it takes, you know, it takes quite a few hours, sometimes even days, you know, to really to really work through a design. Before you leave the house, do you have a, a visual image in your head of, okay, so I have a picture of a bear, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to get this type of landscape? Yeah, I do actually. Um, there's also angles and formatting too. So if I have an image of a bear, say it's more of like a vertical um, image, then I know that I'm going to go out and take a vertical picture um, to match it up with that. And then think about like, maybe blend it in with the eyes or the nose or the ears or something like that. Um, trees blend really well with fur. So I, I like that sort of blending. So there is, there is some strategy and, you know, before I go out and take pictures. <laughs> Do you go out and will you hit like areas of say the Tetons and you go spend a few days up there to get a bunch of different ideas in your, your head and then kind of go from there? I sure do. Yeah. I like hitting points of interest. So, you know, the Teton range, um, great photo ops up there. Um, last year, girlfriend and I went to Devil's Tower. Um, we just spent the day up there, but some great photo opportunities there. Take photos and kind of have an idea in mind what I'm going to do when I get back. So if you're an outdoorsman and you've got that picture that you've been waiting for something to be done with, you should hit Travis up and see if you guys can work something out. And you can get the ball rolling by going to 307shop.com. And Travis, what are your social media handles? On Instagram, 307store.com, dot com spelled out, and 307store on Facebook. Very cool. Very simple. Very easy. Well, Travis, thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Drew. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors.